We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This Thursday, June 23rd at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time is the NBA Draft, and we're hosting a live watch party on playback. That's right, Sam and I, the people who know the least about the NBA Draft, are watching it live with you. We'll have guests on, we'll have experts on to explain the picks to us, and we're calling it the Not Draft Guys Draft Party. Feel free to join us. We're very excited. This will be open to everyone, not just patrons. NBA Draft on playback. We'll post it on Twitter. We appreciate you guys. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Welcome to the Timeline of Phoenix Suns Podcast. My name is Mike. I'm here with Sam. Sam, how are you doing? I am good as always. You know, I was just joking before we hopped on to start recording here. You and I have been uh, <laughs> sort of arguing about the same shit for about six weeks straight now. So <laughs> this week, we figured why not bring on an old friend and uh, force him to argue the same stuff with us to spice it up <laughs> a little bit. So it should be fun. Yeah, that's right. Joining us as well, the official lawyer of our podcast, as we've talked about every year, <laughs> and former host of the Seven Seconds or Lefts podcast, Max McCauley. Max, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for bringing me on to talk about things you guys don't want to talk about. Uh, I'm excited for that. Uh, and also excited to be the, the official lawyer of the podcast who has never actually done any real legal work for the podcast. So uh, all those things, great. <laughs> well, I've said a lot of mean things about Robert Sarver, so eventually <laughs> eventually he might come after I will be, me. So. I will happily defend you against a Robert Sarver a slander <laughs> lawsuit. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. I, I have it right in my bio. Not a reporter, not a journalist. Right in my bio on Twitter. So uh, I got myself covered as best as I possibly can. Perfect. Uh, Max, every year, for those, we have some new listeners. Every year, Max comes on the podcast and we, at the beginning of the season, we make up a bunch of fake over-unders to try and predict certain things that happen during the season. And then at the end of the season, we like to review those over-unders in, in some respect, laugh at our predictions because things obviously change throughout the season. But also, we kind of use that as a way to talk about the season as a whole. And it's funny because there's really nothing like an absolute embarrassing collapse in a Game 7 <laughs> to wash away what was literally, by wins, the greatest season in Phoenix Suns history. And it's, it's we've gotten so far away from enjoying that, rightfully so, uh, but Max, what do you think about the season as a whole? We'll start there. Yeah, you know, I hadn't thought about it that way yet, but it's a great point. I mean, I had such a good time watching this team this season. I, I declared, obviously, before the Dallas Mavericks series that this was my favorite team I've ever watched in any sport. I think I said something along those lines. I mean, they were just indomitable. They were so much fun night in, night out. I mean, remember that, obviously, the win streak early on was so great. It was the 18 they got to. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just kept it going. And man, even when they, in the other part, it was so amazing when they were getting injured, the resiliency. And then, yeah, the resiliency thing kind of went away when they scored 27 points in the first half of game seven at home. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, it's a fun season to break down if you're not like emotionally invested. Unfortunately, we're all emotionally invested. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Sam, have you thought about it through that perspective, through that lens at all? Have you been able to even think about the good times that we used to have? Sure, sure, sure. Of course I have. And, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I recall saying even like the day after that with time, people would be able to appreciate this season. Uh, the the wound was just still too fresh uh, in that immediate week. And, and even now for a lot of people, like, you know, I, I think I've said a million times as well, if people need to take the whole summer off, if they need to take a, a fucking season off, <laughs> I don't blame them yep. because of how just emotionally tragic that collapse was in Game 7. But, you know, at this point, just to speak for myself personally, like, I'm ready to move on. Um, certainly, like, you know, I, I can put my analytical cap back on and start to talk about how the team should move forward and I feel like we've been doing that and and I'm totally ready to talk about all that stuff but I could still appreciate this former team for for what they were it was a a tremendous season in so many ways and set so many new records and especially when you look at how many young players were part of that core who hopefully (laughs) are are gonna continue to be on the team because there are gonna be there are some changes that we want to see but there are also some members of that young core who hopefully will not be gone next season and so yeah there's there's plenty of stuff for us to break down yeah yeah i think so and it's funny because you know going into the this last season not much of the team changed obviously it was just you know minor tweaks and and i look at our over-unders and we started with two landry shamit ones Mm. that's how you know (laughs) landry shamit was one of the uh biggest additions for the team at the time and uh, that's that's kind of why we started with him not to mention max you were always a big fan of landry shamit let's go through the first one and let's, don't kick let's the man about, while he's down now, <laughs> let's talk about landry shamit so to how it works every year we keep score just for fun obviously there's no actual stakes to this um max i think you've won one or two uh, I think I tied one maybe one year. I don't recall. Is this, is this year four, by the way, guys? Because that's crazy. I think so. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I think it is. Done yeah. it every year. Yeah, and we're going to do it again this year. So we'll yeah. be going into year five Love here. Love it. Uh, and the fans actually, the listeners of the podcast actually do it as well. They have they have something that they vote on as well. And I've, I kept track of their answers as well. I think I've won, Max has won, and the fans have won. Sam, I think you might you might be the only one that hasn't won one well, yet. Is there's that right? always there's always a chance this year. I don't know, man. You, you keep <laughs> score, not me. I just you're like uh, the Phoenix Suns, Sam. There's always next year for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, we'll find out how you did. I know, but we'll find out how you did this year as we go through these. Uh, but Landry Shamit, the first one we we uh, decided on Landry Shamit's three point percentage, thirty eight point five percent was the line we chose over and under that. Max, you chose over. Sam, you chose over. I chose under. And it was 36.8%. Mm. So he came in under. And the fans also chose over. By the way, the fans, I, they chose over on every single one but two. Sounds about right. Yeah. I feel yeah. like the fans probably did pretty well. Uh, well <laughs> I'll let you know <laughs> at the end of that. Because, I mean, this is a good year to be optimistic. For sure. I mean, if you're going to be optimistic. But 36.8% for Landry Shamit. I don't know. Is that... That seems kind of not as good as you would expect. I mean, obviously the line was set higher, but Max, what did you think of Landry Shamit? This well, time? he was very up and down when it came to shooting. So he finished pretty well shooting. I think it probably helps our memories of how he shot. But there was that stretch, remember, where he couldn't make a single shot at all ever. Yeah. And everyone, I, I mean, he was Twitter's whipping boy for a very, very long time there. Um, mm-hmm. And ultimately, I think that, you know, I think he shot a little better than that sounds. You know, because a lot of his shots are a little harder than other people's shots, uh, the player's shots too. It's not all just corner threes. Um, and we'll get into the next side after this, but I was more disappointed in his other offensive aspects than his three-point shooting. Mm-hmm. And what did you think of Landry Shamit this season? <laughs> and we haven't really talked about him. Well, oh boy, where? No, I, I I don't hate Landry or anything. I mean, I, I I was just frustrated by the fact that you gave up a first-round pick for a guy who I felt like we always knew wasn't going to be able to really contribute in a playoff rotation, and I do feel like that came true. Um, with the three-point shooting specifically, thirty-six point eight percent is fine. Um, I think maybe where I went wrong here, because you said I I answered over, so I'm going to guess that what I was probably thinking is just you inject him into this offense, and maybe I wasn't high on the idea of Landry Shamit overall. Like, I never believed in his creation. I never believed really in Landry Shamit as a playmaker, to be honest. And that's true, because the next one was his assists. (laughs) Sure, but but just to to finish this idea here, you know, maybe I believed put him in an offense with Chris Paul, he'll get only open catch-and-shoot looks, and there's no way he's not going to hit hit 40%. Um, But to be fair to that, like Landry has always played with pretty damn good offenses. Uh, He's he's played with playoff teams every year, so 
yeah, it was just tough for him all around. Yep, I agree. And I think it sounds like it's funny at the end of the year. I don't know. We haven't covered this in the podcast either, but Monty Williams in his like interview at the end of the season that they do, uh, he talked about the core of this team going forward, and he said Devin Booker, Mikael Bridges, Cameron Johnson, and Landry Shamit. Did he really? I missed that. Oh wow. <laughs> he well did he did he really and say he did, that? He, he referred to it yes. as core because what yeah, I he, I remember he, he and he left out DeAndre Ayton. I just want to yes, point that out. Yeah. And he included Landry Shamit. Yeah. Well, I remember the quote he had after Game Seven because we were talking about this um, last week, Mike and I, Max, uh, where he was talking about like maybe I failed these guys by not allowing them to grow their ISO games. Uh, and mm. when he was talking about those guys, he specifically mentioned Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, and Landry Shamit as like yeah. the other guys around Booker and Chris Paul should have fleshed out their one-on-one games. And I thought even Landry's inclusion there was was pretty funny, to be honest. But. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, he's right that that would have helped a lot. I'm just not sure that we saw anything that, that made us think that he could do it. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I will say, though, I mean, to defend Landry, as I want to do, um, I, I think the problem for him, I mean, you saw it in certain games. I mean, you saw certain the vision of Landry Shamet, what Landry Shamet could be. It happened, you know, not as often as I would have hoped it would have happened, but it happened sometimes. And I think the problem for him, I think the skills are there. It's just like, it's almost like a confidence thing. He's overthinking, I feel like, mm-hmm. out there. And that's what it, I, it just, you know, you, you'll see that when he drives in and he'll just do the dumbest pass or make, make the dumbest play. And you're like, you, he immediately knows it. And you're like, you just, there's something going on in his head that's wrong. That if you could replace, I get rid of that. I think he could be a really, really, you know, maybe not not part of the core. That's insane money, but like a nice player who lives yeah. up to his contract. But it's just there's something there. Uh, the one thing I'll say for him is like for a guy who's how tall is he even six four one ninety is yeah. what he's listed on in his basketball reference page. Like he's not a slasher. You expect him to shoot, but sometimes he really goes for it. Like yeah. sometimes he yeah. really tries to put a dunk on, on the dude's head and you're like, is that Landry Shamit? Like <laughs> the best what, highlight what dunkers doing? the Suns have are there two three point shooters in Landry Shamit and Cameron true. Johnson? True. <laughs> I guess I guess Max, the critical question I would have for you about Shamit going forward is, you know, he's he's obviously signed for a couple more years. Um I, I've never had too much of an issue with Landry's contract because in my view, no matter how poorly he plays it's like a nine, ten million dollar contract, if I remember correctly, uh, yeah. on a per year basis, which I view as very tradable, and I view specifically as the type of flexible, tradable contract you need on your sheet um, in order to kind of wheel and deal and make moves for better players. But from your perspective, Landry going forward for the next two or three years, you still see him as uh, a valuable piece for the Phoenix Suns who can contribute to to maybe some playoff success, or is it kind of just like, yeah, he's fine because he's a tradable contract, which is more where I'd fall. Yeah, so for sure the, the tradable contract thing is a huge part of this. And that's why the reaction to his contract was always stupid. I mean, obviously at first we didn't totally know it was going to be, I think, what is it, non-guaranteed third year and then club option right. fourth year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as soon as we found that out, it became a good contract almost no matter what, like you said, because you need contracts like that to make trades. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of can he get better, again, I think the answer is theoretically yes. I think the skill set is there, as I kind of just alluded to. I mean, it's really, for me, what it comes down to, it's a mental block thing. Um, and it's also, sometimes he tries to do more than he can do, I think. I mean, the shooting is obviously there. He shot 36.8 or whatever it was, but he's obviously a good shooter. Like, that's not, that's that's clear from if you watch him throughout the whole season. He can shoot the ball, but he should be shooting better than that. And the playmaking also, same thing. You can see the playmaking at times. Like, he, make, he makes really good passes sometimes. And he when he when he's confident, he, he, he can really, I think he can be a, like a tertiary creator. But yeah, in terms of is he going to get there or not, do I have a lot of hope? No, not really. It's like a 5 to 10% chance thing, but... Man, people yeah. make, players make leaps all the time in the NBA out of nowhere, so I wouldn't rule it out or anything. I just not expecting it. Yeah, he could just have a great, a single, singular great season, yeah. and I wouldn't be entirely surprised if he just all of a sudden shot forty-two percent. Uh, a campaign season, if you will. <laughs> yeah, there you yeah, go. yeah, or like Cameron Johnson's shooting last year. Not to say that he can't do that again, but like it was just a huge leap from the previous year as far as overall percentage. But Landry sure. Shamit. The other one we had for him was assists per 36. This is a very specific number. I didn't want to. I love how specific we get with with the stats, by the way. We really. (laughs) We didn't know how much he was going to play. I mean, ultimately. So I wanted to do some that was based on a permanent basis. And uh, I set it at three. Max it over, Samson under, I said over. It was 2.7. Yes. Just under that. Sam wins. Stop the count. Yeah. Yeah. So, and and that was right. And and really, I think the confidence thing is a good way of describing it 
but also there was like zero chemistry between him and the bigs. Yeah. And, I, you know, I thought that was part of it. He never really was able to thread any sort of passes to DeAndre. And we were late in late in the season and he was still throwing low bounce passes to DeAndre Ayton. And, you know, it's just no chemistry developed there. He was, you know, he found some shooters on his drives. If he was attacking closeouts, I thought he did pretty good at that. Uh, but, yeah, there was never any chemistry with bigs. So it'll be interesting if the Suns have new bigs next year, which <laughs> they might, or including just Dario Saric playing. I could see Dario Saric and Landry Shamit developing some sort of chemistry together, both of them being the good passers that they are. But also Landry didn't – this is – you know, outside of passing, but he didn't start screening for Devin Booker or Chris Paul until the Dallas series, yeah. <laughs> basically. And I would still like to see more of that. I mean, that's something that Landry Shamit has done basically since he was drafted as an option to make it harder to switch. Uh, so yeah, I'd like to see more of that as well. Yeah, it's a good point. It's kind of a chicken or the egg thing because like you would like to see them use Landry more creatively and do more things with him, but also he was playing horribly, so it was yeah. hard for them to use him more. So <laughs> yeah, it's <kind> of difficult. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a little hard if you're not mastering the basics to you know kind of yeah. be like, okay, you're going to be our premier off-screen shooting option in the offense all the time now. You, <laughs> yep. you kind of have yep. to earn that through nailing the basic stuff first. For sure, it's tough. Next one we have is Cameron Johnson topic of our last week's episode if you missed it check out that episode we went in depth on the concept of an extension for cameron johnson and i put the line at games started oh and that was 15 max and sam you both went over and i went under and it was uh, 16. Wow. Okay, so one wow. over. Nice line. <laughs> that's well done. That's crazy. Yeah. Your lines yeah, are always top notch, man. Gotta say. Yeah, they always get pretty close. And that one was just right on. And, and he, you know, I still think it was, you know, it was still due to injuries. There was never a point of the season. We were trying to figure out if there would ever be a point of the season where he was able to take the starting position from Jay Crowder. And, and he didn't. But right. he did start enough. And I think those starting games now are something that his agent melvin booker is going to be talking mm-hmm. about a lot in the uh extension negotiations because he was really really good in those starting minutes but max what did you think of cameron johnson this season it's such a bummer that he got hurt when he was playing at his absolute best when he had his yeah. what was that 14 mm-hmm. game bruise or whatever <laughs> how many games he missed yeah. for a bruise yeah that was odd um and i think in the playoffs where he had his moments he never quite got to where we were hoping he would be and i think that's in some part why our offense struggled at times. I think we needed him to be better. Um, but yeah, I mean, he showed enough this season where I you know, obviously love him and want him for the long term. Also, I think the Suns probably feel the same way. I think there's a much better, I, I don't know if you guys got into this in your past episodes or not, but it seems like there's a much better chance he's a Sun long term than DeAndre at this point. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I think we would probably both agree, I would say, Mike. Unless, um, unless they trade for a star. Like that, that's the only yeah. real way I could see them, you know, if they need to attach an asset to DeAndre Ayton, if you would. Uh, I think Cameron Johnson could be that guy. Agreed. The issue yeah. is he doesn't Max, make a ton of money either. But if you're if you're James Jones, because we we kind of just went through this process last year with both Mikael Bridges and DeAndre Ayton, and we got opposite outcomes. If you're James Jones, do you feel the pressure to get a deal done, an extension done with Cameron Johnson uh, this summer, even though you don't technically need one? Yes, because for the same reason I really wanted to get Mikel signed is because the, those guys aren't making the max, so they could theoretically next year outplay their value and become more expensive. I think mm. Cam Johnson's good enough where I trust him to probably improve again, um, or at least be the same. And I think he's going to make so you know what be twenty million dollars probably right now a year. Um, I could see him playing his way a little north of that. Whereas eight, and I was never that concerned because again we can just pay him now if we want to. Right now you're paying a bench player. Yeah. After next true. season you're paying a starter. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. And, and also yeah. in, in maybe maybe he may even be a starter next season. But I think now is could, the opportune time. Could still be yeah. a bench player, you know, if KD comes. That's yeah, true. Could be involved in the trade. If Katie too. Comes, Max, I don't care. Max, where are you? I'm sorry. I'm going to derail the conversation now. Where derail. are you on on full conspiracy, full conspiracy theory train uh, with with KD to the Suns? We've talked about or it. any player. If you if any you want. player, well, if you would like yeah. to throw out another player who who you want to start a conspiracy for, go ahead. But I feel like KD's the premier one right now. Well, I mean, yeah. Katie is like the ideal one for sure. I think it yeah. makes a lot of sense. I mean, this you know, Sarver aside. Uh, this this organization is extremely attractive to play for, right? You have Monty Williams. Everybody loves Monty Williams. You have an established, you know, Chris Paul, Devin Booker core. You're in Scottsdale slash Phoenix. 
an area everybody loves, especially KD. I've heard loves loves him from Scottsdale. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's and, name dropped Scottsdale specifically, which I have never yep. heard. And of course, I'm not an Arizona native local, but I've never heard another player do that for Scottsdale. They'll talk about the Phoenix area, but but they don't name drop Scottsdale like KD likes him from Old Town. <laughs> he likes him from Old Town. Yeah. Uh, it's fun when you're rich, man. <laughs> it's, it's especially fun when you're rich. It is a good place to be rich. Um, but yeah, no, I th- it makes a ton of sense why a star would want to come here and why the Suns would go for a star, right? And James James Jones, the first thing he said when he got here, I think, or among the first things is this is a championship organization now. They 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 plan on winning everything, and and so the one I'll throw out to you guys is I think that LeBron James makes all the sense in the world on the Phoenix Suns. Mm. He's got Chris Paul here; they can fly back and forth to LA together. Uh, James Jones obviously has a great reputation. Uh, Just if, buy a jet together. Buy and, a jet. And hey, it's LeBron's easy. a billionaire now. <laughs> that he is. Well, not on that note. Maybe they'll even be. Uh... A vacancy for ownership at some point in the not too distant future hey, for imagine, Mr. Billionaire. Exactly. And how just, and how attractive would that be to LeBron exactly. to be able to like rebuild up Phoenix from the ashes, not to be too punny or anything? Um, it'd be perfect. <laughs> it's just funny that there's an NBA player that's worth significantly more than the owner of the Phoenix Suns. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> right now, currently. Yeah. And that's that's the situation the Suns are in. But yeah, how attractive Phoenix becomes because it, you know you have the James Jones, Monty Williams, Devin Booker, and obviously Chris Paul as the veteran, and you know you get Sarver out of there, then I I really can't imagine a better situation for a star. <laughs> so no, we'll there really hope isn't that. One. No, and also that you have a fan happens. base that's ever won and an organization that's ever won, so you get a ton of credit if you win. You're beloved forever. Yeah. Um, everyone exactly. around the league loves Booker. The players love Booker more than the media and everybody else does. Everybody knows that. So it, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Maybe everyone yep. except for Luka Doncic, but yeah. Yeah, maybe besides Luka. <laughs> <laughs> and the players feel a certain way about him as well. That's true. <laughs> that kind of goes that both ways. True. It'll be interesting later in his career to see if he attracts other talent to play with him, uh, or unless it's just Christian Wood types and Chris Tepps <laughs> Porzingis types for the rest of his career. But uh, yeah, that's Cameron Johnson. That's the Cameron Johnson conversation. We talked about <laughs> Kevin Durant. We talked about LeBron James. Uh, but Cameron Johnson had a really great season, and I think... We, I settled on about $18 million a year for Cameron Johnson is where I expect them to, to settle. I, I imagine you'd be okay with that, Max, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I said 20 because that's kind of what I see as kind of the middle. So, yeah, 18 I'd, I'd feel great about. Yeah, I kind of based it on the Duncan Robinson contract, which, of course, it seems <laughs> bad <laughs> now. because Not the greatest bad. precedent. But he yeah. was good before he was I know, signed. I know. <laughs> hey, you, you, you know the thing, too, though, about that is like, I, I hope that's how people view him because Cam Johnson's better than that. He can like play defense and stuff. Oh, his defense will be much, much better, exactly. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens because the type of shooting that Duncan Robinson was doing before his contract was arguably more valuable true, as well true. because he was just audacious with the shots he was taking. Uh, okay, this one's funny. Cameron Payne, six man of the year votes. Oh, God. <laughs> well, we sad. all went under. I'm just going <laughs> to tell you, we all went we, under. We he all went under. Okay. Did fans and go he over? he clearly got zero. No, they even went under. This is one of the two, <laughs> one of the two that they went under on. Okay. And uh, yeah, he didn't get any. He had, I mean, a ba- he had a bad season. <laughs> yeah, he did. And I, and I really look, think, like, people aren't, really pinning enough of the Suns' downfall on him, I don't think. It's, it, they relied on him a lot for their offense when, obviously, the other guys yeah. weren't having the ball. And I, it, it was horrible he, how he fell off. It really killed us. And, yeah, he's plagued by injuries, too. Maybe that had something to do with yeah. it. I mean, that's, like, the most optimistic outlook because maybe he bounces back without the it, injuries that could have been plaguing him this year. But, yeah, I mean... It was a huge. They they have two guys who could dribble essentially, yeah. and that for that essentially forced Chris Paul to play while he was still injured. Right in the Dallas series, Ugh. if Cameron Payne was fine, they could have staggered both Cameron Payne and Devin Booker. But instead, the best option was still a broken Chris Paul over Cameron Payne, and that was just an ugly sight to see. Remember when he was the best player in Game Two of the Western Conference Finals last year? <laughs> it was it was long oh my God! That well, that's, <laughs> twenty-eight nine and zero turnovers. Right? That's yeah, what yeah. that's what prompted the internal development. Like we did a whole episode. We talked about the futures of like DeAndre Ayton and Mikael Bridges and Cam Johnson on this team and Devin Booker and all those made sense. And then at the end, we tossed in a campaign episode because we were like, "Shit, he just played so well," yeah. and now uh, it didn't age too well. I was going to say the. For like a large stretch of the season, it felt like the go-to offense generated by the Suns' second unit was a campaign bricked lefty scoop <laughs> layup followed by a JaVale McGee putback. So and uh, <laughs> just was, do, doesn't reflect too kindly on the, on the entire bench, the fact that that was sort of the case. Mm-hmm. I think it'll be interesting to see 
if the Suns have faith in Cameron Payne to, to bounce back or if they're going to try to make a move for someone. Because, you know, two things I think could happen. One, if they know that he had something bothering him for the majority of the season, maybe they have faith he can bounce back from that. And maybe they bring Dario Saric back or at least some sort of floor spacing backup big that he could play with mm-hmm. that opens up that lane to the rim that he got so great at attacking with. Um, and, you know, maybe that helps Cameron Payne out. And, you know, outside of that, maybe they don't. Maybe they just try and find somebody else to pick up the offense off the bench because it's clearly necessary. And we're at the point with Chris Paul where we don't know if he's even going to finish next season, <laughs> you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Uh, so the type of offense that's needed from the guard position is incredibly important. And I imagine, I I think there's a chance there's no Cameron Payne on the Suns next year, I guess, is, is what I'll say. Yeah. What, what do you guys think of that? Yeah, whenever you play that poorly, you open yourself up to that, for sure. Yeah, it's certainly not untouchable. Um, we talked about how his he's got two years left on his contract, but the second year is only partially guaranteed, I believe. So that makes him kind of more easily tradable, where he's like, not exactly expiring, but almost expiring if you had to attach him into certain deals to, to make something work. So, yeah, I think we've kind of over-focused almost on DeAndre Ayton discussions and how do you replace DeAndre Ayton? Are they going to replace DeAndre Ayton with uh, a traditional center or are they going to try and upgrade on the wing? But the secondary conversation to all that that we kind of haven't talked about at all is how important it still is for the Suns to get a third guard. Because, yeah, um, yeah. I, you know, I just don't see it as a situation right now where either campaign or Landry Shamit cuts it going into next season. So there's got to be someone better. Than well, that. today Twitter told me we're going to get Bradley Beal. So <laughs> I didn't see that one. I didn't see yeah. that one. Bradley Beal. Rumor. Well, there's a hilarious thing. Bradley Beal said he has decided about his future uh, and he won't tell anyone what it is. <laughs> well, that means it's Phoenix then. That's what that means. <laughs> yeah, it could be. Uh, I James could, Jones came from Miami, the kings of tampering. It would be weird, but I could talk myself into it. I'll say that. Well, yeah. Sure. I mean, obviously. Yeah. It'd be fun, at the very least, to have two Devin Bookers. <laughs> <laughs> it would be kind of fascinating to see. Uh, where are you guys on Eric Gordon? Is it... It's like He's pretty old, and he makes a lot of money. They could probably get away with trading for him without a pick now, which is something they didn't want to do uh, in in the mid middle of the season. After but, uh, after all I've said about Eric Gordon for the past year, if they go and get Eric Gordon now, I mean, <laughs> it would need to be a situation where they need to have exhausted all of their options. Because for me, the biggest thing at this point is like rim pressure. Get guys who not only can dribble the ball, dribbling the ball is great, not only guys who can create their own offense, but specifically, I'm tired of seeing this team finish near dead last in the NBA in free throw attempts. <laughs> yeah. And if you're going to replace DeAndre Ayton too, because it's his fault as well, it's Chris Paul's fault especially too, but it's DeAndre Ayton's fault as well, um, go out and replace him with, whether it's guards, forwards, centers, I don't care, guys who put their head down, get to the rim, um, put pressure on the rim. And Eric Gordon doesn't exactly cut it in that sense. I wouldn't turn him away. If you got him on a good deal, um, but I would be disappointed if like James Jones was like, let's get Eric Gordon and replace DeAndre Ayton with uh, Clint Capella, and that's our off season, and roll into next year. That would be kind of a disaster, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, I could not agree more. I mean, if you're going to get Eric Gordon, you should have got him, you know, a few months ago when he could have helped us. Now he was in the middle of a career season. He's mm-hmm. very old. I mean, not career, but career lately at least. He was awesome last season. Um, and you know, get him then. I, you've no, there's no guarantee he'll even be good next year. I think that was the time, yeah. and it, it would be very odd to trade for him now. He was pretty bad at the end of the season. Yeah, actually, yeah. it finished the season badly. So, I just, yeah, it's a risk at this point, and I, I, yeah, I wouldn't. It depends on the makeup of the rest of the team, but I wouldn't be in support of that just at first glance. Yep. Uh, cr- next one, Chris Paul. Points per game, 16.4. Mm. And I am the only psychopath that went over. You went over? Why did you Why did you do that? <laughs> because I think he should have shot more. <laughs> I mean, You're I, trying I to was, bully him into shooting the ball more? <laughs> some of these are often wishful thinking, right? Yeah. On, on my part where I'm just like, I want him to shoot more. Uh, and then he was 14.7 is what he finished with. So both of you got that right. And this is the other one that the uh, listeners went under on. Mm. So they got it. I was the only one that missed that one. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, he shot less <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and we talked about it in the internal development series that we did at the beginning of the season. This is a good way to get other guys more shots. And he did, I thought, you know, and just so you guys know, he 14.7 points per game in the regular season, even with the ending that he had in the playoffs, he still finished the playoffs with 17.5 points mm-hmm. 
per game. So obviously picked it up dramatically, played more minutes in the playoffs. No Devin Booker for the majority of the first round. Caused him to shoot more. He had one game where he shot 14 for 14, basically entirely from mid-range jump shots that he created on his own. And yeah, so he still went over that number in the playoffs when the Suns needed it the most. But yeah, 14.7. What do you think about Chris Paul this season, Max? It's it's such a hard question to answer, right? Because you you're coming off the Dallas series where he just completely fell apart for injury or COVID or whatever it was, uh, whatever was going on with Chris Paul there. But then yeah, you just brought it up in the the last game of the Pelican series when he arguably had like one of his best playoff games of all time uh, in his career. I mean, I don't think it's that arguable. I mean, fourteen to fourteen is definitely up there. It's um, unbelievable, unbelievable. And he was also it wasn't just that game too. In Game Three of that series, he won the game for us basically. Too, I think we were quarter. calling that Mike and I at least were calling that one of the best Suns playoff performances of all time like of player, be, not right? just Chris Paul. 14 yeah. out of 14 on the road in a closeout game like that's yeah. nuts yeah um, it's insane so it's like and that, you know at the same time this is now two playoff runs in a row where yeah he was there but he wasn't himself um in the, at the end of the at the end of the season for us so it's kind of like how do we treat him going forward he's only going to be getting older and, and more prone to this kind of thing and you know that 14 point whatever you said he averaged that's going to go down uh, mm-hmm. it's got to keep going down and eventually he's going to go to the bench I imagine eventually um, I don't know. It's really hard. I, I, you know, I still think he's an incredible basketball player. I still love having him on the team. I just, I get nervous every single season that it's going to end the unfortunate the way it did the last couple. Right now, Devin Booker has all the leverage in the world to get the Suns to try to bring somebody else to mm-hmm. take the pressure off of them. I'll say it again. I said it last week. He has the ability to sign a supermax extension right now, and he could just say, "No, I'm not going to do it unless you do these things." And the Suns will have to do those things. And I still believe that Devin Booker believes that Chris Paul could be a major piece on a championship team this next season. And with Chris Paul aging, the real only solution to help that is to find another offensive creator. They have too few guys that can dribble. And you take Cameron Payne out of that equation, it's way too few. (laughs) (laughs) And, yeah, they need to figure that out. But, uh, Sam, you have anything else to add about Chris Paul? Julius Randle. You are a Phoenix Sun. <laughs> that's I'm, that's I'm, the I'm guy. Fucking huh? with you guys. I'm, I'm fucking with you guys. I've um, developed a, a little bit of a reputation for myself. Uh, some may call it trolling. Some of the stuff I do online sometimes. Um, I have brought up Julius Randle as a name before. It would be uh, like the worst possible option of someone who can technically dribble and buy low. twenty points per game. It would yeah. be yes. It would be a buy low opportunity, an investment opportunity, if you will. Uh, oh no, I'm Mr. starting to get suspicious. You live in New York. Uh, are we sure you're a Suns fan? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you're like, hey, trade Mikhail Bridges for him. Perfect uh, trade. <laughs> yeah. Hey, let me ask you guys this. I posted this on Discord, on our Discord. John Collins or Jeremy Grant? Ooh. Oh, that's an interesting question, man. I would be tempted to go with Jeremy Grant because I trust his defense being more translatable to playoff basketball, even though he's a less talented offensive player. And then I think it would be more easy to kind of fill in the center position around it. Um, but what do you think, Max? I think if I feel confident that I can put a championship team together, I want Jeremy Grant more because I kind of agree that I, I trust him more in, in sort of the settings the Suns would have him in in the playoffs. But if I'm not so sure, I think I'd go with John Collins for the upside. He's just younger. Yeah. I mean, I will I, say for Suns fans who like haven't watched a lot of John Collins and but are like, you know, old school. I, I don't even know if this counts as old school Suns fans, but like fans of Na- the Nash Stoudemire era at this point, <laughs> like the, yeah. the teams that I grew up with. Are we old school Suns fans now? Or are we still kids? I'm not so, sure. Yeah. Well, me and Max are, I think. We definitely yeah. are. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm not saying John Collins is Amari Stoudemire. He's obviously not. But it would inject a. a, 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 a I'm not trying to throw too much shade at the guy right now, but especially coming off the DeAndre Ayton era, let's just say if that's like what was going on, <laughs> it would be. Um, a certain it, it would, people would be impressed i think people would be naturally drawn in to what john collins could do in the sun's offense and would be like holy shit look at the look at the balls on this guy <laughs> to take some of these shots and and his level of just aggression every night um, but that doesn't mean i i necessarily think he would be the best fit if you're talking about winning I think, a championship i think that i think that john collins might be a better fit and a better player to be honest but I understand why you guys, from a playoff lens, are talking about Jeremy Grant as a defender because we've we've seen it before. Uh, you know, he was the guy that guarded Kawhi and stuff like that. So he he has the ability to do things in the playoffs that just John Collins can't do. 
so I, I've gone back and forth on that, but I, I am sort of leaning John Collins when it comes to that. Those are two potential options for the, DeAndre and signing. The Grant. other issue with Jeremy Grant, and this may be an issue with John Collins to some extent as well, but Jeremy Grant famously didn't want to play for Denver anymore because he wanted to be a more of an offensive focal point. Um, I don't yeah. know whether that's still the case, but it supposedly could be I forget if it was Hollinger. Was it Hollinger, Mike? Fact check me. No, here. he Hollinger said if. He said, if, if. okay, Grant, yeah. supposedly yeah. there are whispers that he no longer feels that way, maybe ah. because he spent the last two years in the gutter with Detroit. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Well, he would be that here, right? I mean, kind of. He I think be... I think you could very easily find a niche for him where he is in between the two. He's not going to be yes, exactly yes. the Jeremy Grant in Denver. One thing that I was pointing out on Twitter, actually, the other day, this is really impressive on the part of Jeremy Grant betting on himself is yeah. that in the past two seasons, he's averaged over six free throw attempts per 36 minutes. That in itself isn't all that surprising when a guy takes on a primary initiator role. But he was like a career 65% free throw shooter before Detroit. And then the past two seasons, he goes to Detroit and he shoots 85% on free throws as their primary initiator. A lot of the shooting stuff, a lot of the creation abilities for him, he definitely can't be your number one on a good team. Like no one's arguing that. But he went to Detroit because he wanted to prove all of these people wrong who said there's no way in hell a role player like Jeremy Grant, uh, Jeremy Grant can create. And he kind of started doing some some impressive stuff. Like the free throw stuff is pretty impressive, his growth there in the past two years. And mm-hmm. so if the you The ball put handling him, got better. The ball handling definitely got better. Like he wouldn't be Detroit Jeremy Grant and he wouldn't be Denver Jeremy Grant on the Suns. He would be somewhere in the middle, I think. He'd, be He'd like definitely be way better than Jeremy Second option though, right? <laughs> I mean, uh, kind of. I think Sam has to be sold on Jeremy Grant. Let's go get Jeremy Grant. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> I still don't I still don't think he's good enough as a second option on a championship team. No. Yeah, I, it would be that sort of I don't want to call it a fake sep- second option that like DeAndre Ayton was during the regular season yeah. where the the idea of Chris Paul turning it on in the playoffs a little bit more is still there. Um but maybe something like that. I think the difference is Jeremy Grant can be the guy running the pick and rolls at times for the Suns whereas DeAndre Ayton was the screener every time. Uh so yeah, I don't know. It's just I thought about those two guys as two potential options and it's surprising how close they are in my mind. I think that Agree. Yeah. it should, uh, you know, like logically it should be John Collins, but I don't know. Maybe not. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, let's see, Chris. This is a funny one. Chris Paul games did not play rest. So how many times Chris Paul did not play for rest? We put the over under at one. Max, you uh, pushed, and Sam and I both went over, and he rested for two games. Mm, wow. <laughs> the Clippers and the Kings. Wow. Towards the end of the season, uh, I went to at least one of those, maybe both of those. <laughs> That's why I remembered them. But yeah, I went and looked. I don't, I don't know how they listed him for those two games, but it, you know, just looking at the game logs, it was clear that it was rest for those two games. And the Suns lost both of those dramatically. 
<laughs> yeah, it turned out, we didn't know this at the time, it turned out they were eight games up on the rest of the league, so it was easy for them to rest. Yeah, yeah, it was. That's a good point. Uh, yeah, and the, the listeners also went over um, the rest of them, so they were right on that one. Um, let's move on to Devin Booker. Devin Booker, points per game, 26.5. <laughs> Max, you said over. Sam, you said under. I said over. Devin Booker finished with 26.8 points per game Props. at the end of the year. Wow. And really just went on a run like halfway through the season when Chris Paul was out to just put his name into the MVP conversation. And that's kind of what raised his points per game to that amount. Of course, the the, the listeners went over on that one as well. A, a really incredible season by Devin Booker that almost feels... It's just almost like expected of him at this point to do the things that he does. Uh, so maybe it's a little bit forgotten in the grand scheme of things. But Max, what do you think about Devin Booker and his first MVP votes that he got? This well, season? it's so funny because I went into this when you guys first mentioned this and thinking about it. I was like, oh, well, I'm going to be wrong about Devin Booker. I always go over on points and he didn't go over. I assumed that I think we had the line higher than it was because um, I just I expect so much out of him um, scoring wise. Like, I, I still don't understand why he isn't scoring 30 points a game. Um, I, I know a lot of it's just he doesn't have the ball very much. I mean, he always leads the league in points per touch and all that stuff. But and the other part of it is he tends to be a little streaky in seasons. Um, he has, obviously, after the All-Star break and when Chris Paul went down, he was transcendent and was playing his best basketball, and that's what got him into the MVP conversation. And my thought on that was always that, well, I don't think he deserved to be in the MVP conversation given who was in it because the three guys who were in it were just so ridiculous statistically mm-hmm. all season long. Had Devin Booker played the way he played uh, in the second half of the season, the whole season, I think that he absolutely would have been in that conversation. That's how good he was in the second half. I, mean, I recall like that game against Denver and a, and a couple other ones where he yeah. was just unbelievable. And yeah. the, and the, really the unfortunate thing, too, is I think, I, I don't know how much the hamstring was still hurting him in the second round or anything, but he looked like he may have been on pace to do a lot of that in the playoffs, too. I, I was at game two of the Pelican series where he wow. scored a thousand million points in the first half and then got hurt. Very yeah. devastatingly, but man, if that was Devin Booker, we were we were going to be getting and we got robbed of. That's that's tough. Yeah, yeah. I think he had what 30, 31 points, thirty two points. I think it in was thirty one. Yeah, yeah. That's two. nuts. It was really insane. He was really on fire. That's the famous uh, fist bumping a baby yeah, uh, yep. game. Oh <laughs> for yeah, Devin right. Booker right. there as well. And I think he made seven threes in the first half, right after doing something similar against the Lakers in the playoffs last year, and, and still something never, like that. never exceeding exceeding six in the regular season. His whole career. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the other part of the Devin Booker conversation for the over enders was free throw attempts per game and uh, set the line at six. Uh, I think, Max, I may have talked you into the over. <laughs> so sorry about that because yeah. he went under. Sam, you're the only one that picked under. And, the, the you know, the rationale was that he was now a, a star, a superstar, somebody that played in the NBA Finals. Oh, yeah. The refs are often on his side. But it almost felt as if he was preserving himself a little bit more in the regular season, maybe because of the hamstring injury he had in the Finals in the previous season to try and ensure that he was healthy in the playoffs, of course, ended up with that hamstring injury in the playoffs as well, but just ended up, I mean, the Suns won 64 games and he just didn't drive as much. They were able to win those games with him just getting to the mid range over and over and over again. And I think that was probably the main reason for this under, but I still kind of surprised uh, Max. What do you think? Well, more to that point, you're right. And not only the hamstring in the playoffs, but he had a hamstring injury early in the season when the Suns were still winning every single game. And I'm sure that's part of the rationale for not, not, not going after it. But I, I do think my, my thought on this is that, you know, you have to, prepare for the play in the way you're going to play in the playoffs in the regular season a little bit at least you know the game changes a lot I think I think Booker needs to take more of that on on his shoulders if only to get the refs used to calling <laughs> uh, fouls yeah. for him yeah because I think I think if you totally change your style of play you can catch you can catch everything off guard a little bit and I think it would help be helpful if he did a little more of that in the regular season yeah what do you think uh, Sam what <laughs> no uh <laughs> sorry <laughs> the whole preserving him thing was absolutely my logic for why I went under here. Um, but I was also going to say, tying it into into the other thing about scoring, the line was at 26.5, right? He finished with 26.8. I mean, mm-hmm. yes, he got fewer free throws, but his three-point improvement that we've been hoping for with mm-hmm. Devin Booker yeah. for so many years, like yeah. that kind of single-handedly pushed him above, if you think about it, with the other line, because he went from five and a half three-point attempts last year on 34% to career hot. Uh, actually, it wasn't technically a career high, but he went to seven three-point attempts this season on 38%, so one and a half uh, difference in volume and a 4% increase in three-point shooting. A lot of that, especially coming towards his um, 
uh, pull-up three-point shooting, uh, which was really the most impressive part to me. So I feel like that sort of, yes, he was worried about his hamstrings. Yes, it pushed the free throw numbers down. And I do agree with you, Max, by the way. He does need to he does need to get to the rim more um, if the Suns want to succeed in the playoffs to an extent. Um, but also the shooting finally improved, and it kind of pushed up his scoring. I don't know. It'll be well. We're here, by the way. We're now going to talk about DeAndre Ayton, uh, <laughs> something I dread almost on every <laughs> podcast episode. But I, it'll be interesting to see if a change in the type of big the Suns play with could give Devin Booker maybe a little more space to go to the rim. But maybe it's not. Maybe the Suns end up with a traditional big. Chris Paul kind of needs a guy like DeAndre Ayton to to do a lot of the things that he's really great at. He doesn't really play with a lot of stretch uh, bigs. So if the Suns end up changing from DeAndre into a different player, which it's all signs are pointing that way, it'll be interesting to see how that impacts Devin Booker. I'm not sure I can remember Chris Paul ever playing with a stretch big in his career. Yeah, Like a stretch five. He's he's played with stretch fours for sure. In fact, Chris Paul really likes playing with stretch fours because he can do the double drag and then have a traditional five who rolls and a traditional four. I'm thinking like Gallinari and OKC who pops, but I'm not sure he's ever played with a stretch five. It's kind of interesting. He's played with yeah. no five before in Houston, right? <laughs> but yeah, yeah, but even then, he, the closest, even then he did yeah. have Capella. He that's did true, have Capella for for the first year. Yeah, um, yeah. So all right, DeAndre. And this is funny. DeAndre in three point attempts total <laughs> on the season. We set the line. I set the line at twenty five. Uh, let's see. Max went under. Sam went over. Really? I oh. went under. And he took 19 total wow. on the season. <laughs> and if you include the playoffs, he took four more in the playoffs, and it was still technically under. Uh, <sighs> yeah, he's not. He's not doing it. And this is a this is in a season where the coaches insisted that they were telling him that he could shoot that shot. But you know what? Thirty six point eight percent on those 19 yeah. attempts. The exact same three point percentage as Landry Shamit. So there's point. an argument. <laughs> good point. There's an argument. <laughs> Well, it's weird. Should too, he have shot more? Yeah, I think so. But the weird thing is, he only shoots them at the top of the key. It seems like at the, at the, at yeah. the, the break. I, I, shouldn't he be in the corner a little more trying those? I feel like it's an easier shot, especially given the way he shoots them, which is flat and doesn't look that pretty. Right. I mean, it doesn't help that the Suns don't have other good screeners in the yeah. starting lineup. Really, the the best one probably ended up being Mikel, who slips a hundred percent of the screens that he sets, and then just plays that sort of. He just shoots that mid-range shot most of the time, but he plays that short roller. Um, I remember at the end of the final season, they had a few set plays with DeAndre Ayton in the corner and basically did none of that mm. <laughs> this year. Um, but yeah, I mean, he hit more threes than he ever has, and the shot looked okay. And yeah, for, I don't know. It'll be I interesting. Could, I could still totally believe DeAndre Ayton, whether he's a son next season, whether he's with some other team. Like I could totally still see him growing into that guy who takes yeah. two or three per game at most, like not like a high volume, but like two or three per game at most and hits 30 to 35%. I could totally see him doing that based yeah, on the trajectory. Plays, if he plays for a bad team next year, which he will, <laughs> <laughs> why wouldn't they? At, uh, he should shoot like one a quarter at that point when you're just playing on a bad team. Just try it out to see if you see what you could do. I don't think he will. We've seen him. I make, mean, he says he wants to, so we'll see. My thing, we've seen him make so many half-court granny shots pre-game. <laughs> it might be time for a little bit of a form change-up. I mean, <laughs> before, you, before you break it out, you're talking about can he shoot just at the top of the key or can he kind of expand his palate, shooting right. from the wing, from the corners, maybe with the granny. Right. It would look a little different. One of the only shots, three-point shots that Chris Paul could block. <laughs> I will definitely be watching the Detroit Pistons on League Pass if he starts shooting granny threes. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be incredible. <laughs> the other part of DeAndre Ayton was his true shooting percentage. We set the line at 65%. Uh, Max, you're the only one that got it. You and the listeners over. He finished with 65.6%. I think offensively, the best season of his career, in my opinion, uh, one of the most one of the most incredible developments I think for him this year was those short mid range shots that he was just hitting from Mm -hmm. everywhere. And we saw it culminate in the Pelican series where he just made everything for like a good stretch of few games where he's making everything from the mid range. And it was the first time where I think we saw his offense start to expand further and further away from the rim. And I think to me, another example of the Suns doing a great job developing him and finding ways to work those shots back into his game after 
teaching him how to essentially do really great close to the rim. Uh, but what do you think about DeAndre Ayton's offense this year, Max? Man, would he have been good in the 90s. He was ridiculous in the 90s. <laughs> uh, back when those shots mattered. Uh, no, no, I think yeah. he was great. And, and I say I joke not when it mattered. They, they did matter this season, especially in the Pelican series, as you said. He was saving our bacon there for quite a long time. No, I think I mean, offensively the guy's as talented as it gets, man. His touch is crazy. It really is. The hook shot, his hook shot is so automatic it's unbelievable. Um, I expect to go in every single time he puts it up. Um, again, it's a little unfortunate for him that the NBA has sort of moved away from that kind of offense, but if he can add the three at a, at a reasonable level, I think there's really no reason to think his offense won't be awesome going forward, and it's probably the prime reason why his top supporters think it's crazy we're letting him go, which, or I'd say for sure, but we're probably letting him go um, yeah. because there is a lot there. What do you think, Sam? Yeah, I, I think... For the first time, we talk about that Pelican series. He really was just so tremendous in that series and unfortunately went away in the Dallas series as it did with so many other Suns players. But that Pelican series was the first time, we've talked about it before, Mike, where it felt like DeAndre was giving you like video game combos in his moves. Like mm. he, he he was just so much more of a well-rounded, fleshed out, offensive, complete package where he would maybe catch it on the elbow or maybe he would catch it out to the side, extended 15 feet or so, and he would fake the shot and then dribble and then go into the hook or maybe then he fakes the hook and he spins around and goes to his other shoulder like it felt like he was building for the first time in his career truly he had all of these skills that he had acquired like slowly throughout four years and he was building them out on top of one another so that they could all work cohesively for the first time that's where you see the momentum with DeAndre Ayton and it's like that's where if you're one of these let's be honest like you said Mike bad teams um, mm-hmm. that wants to go and give him a max contract, that's how you talk yourself into doing it for sure. Is like he can he can go and if he can continue to look like that player in the Pelican series that we saw, who was so cohesive uh with all of his offensive moves, yeah, he could he could start to wreck opponents basically. But he has to do it consistently. That's how you make the Suns look dumb at that point. Yeah, right? for sure. If he if he finds a way to put it together on a consistent basis, but if he finds a way to put it together on a consistent basis is a phrase that we have uttered for, for yeah. the entirety of the beginning of his career. And, yeah. and, you know, it's not to say that he won't. It's still possible that he will. But it's clear yeah. that if, if they if the Suns thought he was going to, they would not be letting him go, assuming they let him go. Like, that's... Yeah. They, they don't they don't believe in him doing that. And I, I see what they're coming from on that because while I agree with Sam, we started to see a little bit more of that in the Pelican series. That's always been the rap on him, man. He's very stiff. He has an incredible touch. He can, you know, he can shoot. He's had a lot of basketball skills. But, yeah, in terms of reading the, the game and being able to apply everything... And sort of the sequence uh, motion sort of thing that Sam was alluding to, he doesn't, he hasn't had that. And even when he's had, been at his best in that in that metric, he hasn't been like you know an NBA star level at that ever. Not even right. close. But I, I think that that's you're betting on if you want to give him max. And I think that you know it's clear the Suns don't want to bet on that. Yep, yep, I agree. It'll be interesting to see uh, where he goes and what the conclusion to that saga will be because we only have. Two more weeks, I guess, mm. and then we're, we're probably going to know relative. I, I'm guessing we're going to know relatively quickly when it comes to free agency. He is the outside of Zach Levine. He is the prize, the quote unquote prize for a lot he's of teams. Got, so. He's got to already know, guys, like, right? Yeah, he's he yeah. has in yeah. his yeah. mind. His agent it, does. That's for sure. In his mind, he knows 100 percent. He has. To. Well, the, the Suns have to cooperate for a right. lot of the teams that that's want true him, or for actually for any team <laughs> to, to be able to get him. So there is that. And, you know, the Suns are not, we know, <laughs> we know James Jones, like he'll hold out if he has to in order to get something. So maybe that could be the only thing that extends it. But I think it's been long enough now that, you know, all roads point to somewhere here. Uh, Mikael Bridges points per game. This is one of the oh, two no. that everyone got wrong. Mm. We set the line at 15.8. He ended up at 14.2. Everyone picked over. We were all very optimistic about Mikael Bridges and his offense this year, it did get better. He raised his points per game. He was incredibly efficient. We saw a a little bit more of the self-creation, specifically attacking closeouts. And then I think the other thing is his defense got better. I think he was an incredible defender this year. Um, Easy to forget after Luka Doncic just sort of beat up everybody on the Suns, but Mikael Bridges finished top three in Defensive Player of the Year, and I think he was worthy of that <clears throat> but yeah the points just no, were not there but what do you think about Mikael Bridges this last season Max yeah you know the second half of the season the offense was really good and, and more of what we were expecting to see the whole season long I, if I recall correctly after a stellar preseason that got us all super excited he wasn't that awesome offensively for the first half of the season or so 
And then he really started to get into his own creation game, you know, the, the, the little drive-in pull-up jumper that's unguardable because his arms are so long. He really started getting comfortable with that. It fell off a little bit in the playoffs. I think a lot of it is the playoff intensity and how much he's doing defensively makes it difficult for him. But I still think, I mean, I, nothing that I saw last season uh, dissuaded me from the idea that he could be a really, really, really good offensive player down the line here. And maybe, maybe you know, one of the most important things that we're all kind of overlooking is uh, the name of your, your little series there, internal development uh, with him <laughs> still. I mean, I, think, I still think there's, there's a lot for him to, to grow into. Certainly hope so. I mean, we're going to have an extended conversation about it at some point for sure. Yeah, um, You lost a little bit of faith though, right, Sam? No doubt. I mean, look, you set the line at 15.8, and, and like I said, I, I think you always have really good lines, but I vividly remember having a conversation. I didn't just take the over. I think I slammed the over on this one. Mm-hmm. Like, I think this was what I was riding into the season more so than anything else. I was expecting improvement for Booker. I was expecting improvement for Aiton, but above everything else... I was expecting improvement for Mikhail Bridges. And I, I seem to recall, especially after that preseason, you're right, Max, we, we kind of got tricked a little bit. Um, I thought there was a chance that Mikhail Bridges was going to have like an 18, 19 point per game season. Like he was really going to look like almost reserve all-star status, kind of like the Chris Middleton wall that he mm-hmm. he sort of could have broke through. I, I remember bringing up Middleton's name a couple of times. Unfortunately, just never materialized. He, um, he did improve in terms of per game averages. But his per 36 numbers, because he played a lot of minutes this year as an Ironman, mm-hmm. um, his mm-hmm. per 36 points uh, actually went down from last season to this season. Mm-hmm. And it's not that I doubt anything about Mikhail's skills. He's got all the, all the skill in the world. But, you know, you get to a certain point where can you unlock that mindset to be aggressive and attack the rim enough and, and get yourself the requisite free throw rate to become a guy who can score 18 to 20 points per game in this league? I'm not sure he has it. Um, What I've said all along about Mikhail Bridges, though, I will point out, is that I still think his contract value is amazing, even if he continues to be a 14, 15 point per game guy for the length of his contract who plays amazing defense. He's earned that money. He's earned that money. But, uh, you know, like, say, for instance, if it was not DeAndre Ayton, but say it was Mikhail Bridges who thought he was deserving of a max contract. And then, well, we would be having the same exact conversations about him of, well, if you want a max contract, you need a certain level of offensive responsibility and to be able to get up to the 20 point per game threshold as a true initiator in the offense. Um, Obviously, it's a moot point because Mikhail didn't demand that specific contract. But you understand why I'm drawing the parallel. I don't think he has that in him necessarily. I, I am losing a little bit of faith in that. I think the experimenting with him as a screener this year was fantastic, and I hope they continue to do that more and more and more. But I also kind of wonder what it would be like in a five-out offense if, if, there was a, if there was just another shooter on the floor. Because Mikel Bridges was pump faking and driving, and then there was a guy under the rim the majority of the time. Yep. Uh, and that ended up with that short mid-range jumper. Well, he's one of the better finishers in the league in transition. If the rim was open, he's got the length to be able to get to it. And also the experimenting with him as the short roll screener, he's developed that those passes pretty well. I think he could actually pass to cutters, even he like could. little yeah. Draymond-esque uh, lobs to cutters who are, who are going to slam it in. Or like if it was John Collins, for example, in a five-out offense cutting out from the corner, Mikael Bridges is a screener. I could see, especially if they're trapping Devin Booker, I could see a Draymond-esque role from Mikael Bridges in that scenario, but they would need a five-out offense to do that. So I wonder what it would take or what he would look like, I think, with another shooter out there instead of a guy under the rim. They, you know, we didn't even have the option of, outside of Frank Kaminsky, we didn't really <laughs> even have the option of seeing that this year the way we did the previous year with Dario Saric, where everything looked great when Dario Saric was on the floor for the first half of the season. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how the team changes and how it impacts Mikel. You're making a great point because people don't often think about like, oh, imagine what Mikel Bridges would look like in X or Y offense because he's so you know fungible. He can play for any team and he'd be great. <laughs> but if you put him on the Golden State Warriors instead of Wiggins or whatever, or you put him on Dallas even, uh, he'd be ridiculous in those offenses. He'd be much better uh, yeah. offensively, I think, in those in those offenses. Yeah, yeah, because he has look, he doesn't have the shiftiness as far as drives. But he's got that straight line dribble. He can grab the ball and go directly to the rim in just two steps. He's got the long limbs to be able to do that. And the decision-making has always been great. He doesn't do dumb things with the ball. It's not like he has a ton of turnovers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, combining the three-level scoring, which I believe he could have, with a more spread floor, I mean... It just makes sense. I would would revise my point then that I made a minute ago just, you know, in 
response to what you guys are saying. Like, also, if Jeremy Grant can score 21, 22 points per game on, on Detroit, Mikhail Bridges has the talent to do that, too. I guess I'm specifically talking about his role on a Chris Paul-led offense. Um, the Suns, and Monty Williams especially, they need to find ways to get him to assert himself more. Uh, into that and you know that just needs to be an ongoing conversation between them because I'm sure he understands his role on the team especially if he's he's playing such an important role on defense his role on offense is not to be uh this year wasn't even to be the team's third option maybe next year it will be maybe it'll be the fourth option I don't know but you need to find ways to to make him confident he needs yeah, to be more yeah. confident and he also and oh, sorry go ahead Mike well, there's another way for a center to space the floor, and that's playmaking as well, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if if there was a trap situation with Devin Booker and there was a center that was really great at the short roll, I think that's another scenario where Mikel Bridges could thrive as well because as a cutter, if the ball is in DeAndre Ayton's hand, hands, that cut was wasted. He couldn't cut when the ball was in DeAndre Ayton's hand because DeAndre Ayton couldn't pass to cutters. So if there was another situation where there was a center who could pass better, or if DeAndre Ayton somehow stays and develops that, I think that's another thing that can wow. help Mikel Bridges. Are we back on the Thad Young train? <laughs> Thad Young. Demonis Sabonis. I mean, that's the Suns, over. But yeah, the Suns looked at Demonis Sabonis specifically because of what I'm talking about here, mm-hmm. where it would just benefit Devin Booker in the traps and everyone else on the assists. And hey, man, offensively, Demonis Sabonis would have been amazing. It's just the defense is the uh, that's the issue there. Um, yeah. Bridges, That's where Mikel has to help on the other end. <laughs> 100%. He'd be at working overtime with that with that going on. But uh, I think the, the one thing that Mikel could improve, it's not terrible. Like you said, he's great straight line, but the handle. I mean, yeah. every, you can say that about almost every player in the NBA. It helps to improve your handle, besides like Chris Paul and Kyrie Irving, I guess. But yeah. for him especially, I think it would make him a lot more confident to be assertive. Yeah, I don't think he has any faith in like his crossovers. No, no, he just doesn't do it. <laughs> no. And you know, to, to to his credit, that's one thing Mikel Bridges is is really good at not trying things that he doesn't think he's good yeah, at. Hundred uh, percent. He focuses on what he's good at. And we may need him if, if you want him to grow. We may need him to start taking some steps out of there a little bit, being a little exactly. risky. Yeah. yeah, that's that's exactly what Monty Williams talked about at the end of the season. Uh, Suns wins the beginning of the season were set at fifty five, and this was not my line. Of course, this was the Vegas line, if you will. Everyone went over and they they hammered that over. Almost beat it by 10 uh, with 64 wins at the end of the season. And the last one, which is kind of depressing to talk about now, we set the playoff series wins at 2.5. Everyone went over. They won one. (laughs) (laughs) They won one playoff series at the end of the year and then were just demolished in round two. It'll be interesting to see what they do next year. And also, like I have no, I think about these lines, you know, I try to think ahead of time about the lines I'm going to set for next season. And there's no way of knowing, you know, <laughs> so much is yeah, going to happen yeah, for sure, for in sure. the next month. Like the team is d- dramatically going to change. Obviously, Ish Wainwright, no most improved player votes won. <laughs> <laughs> All of them. Lock it in. That's who our, in- our internal development series this year is just going to be about Ish Wainwright. Five five episodes on Ish. <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> five hours of Ish talk. It'll be the most anyone's ever talked about. Uh, Max, you got seven right out of 13, so that's more okay. than half. Right. Sam, you got seven right oh. out of 13, so you guys tied, and I got six. Oh. Uh, <laughs> so I lost this year. The listeners who have won in the past also got seven right okay wow. everyone's happy so, except mike i'll take it <laughs> I, the only definitive thing is that i lost that's the only definitive thing here but sam you officially won i think this counts as your first win as a tie i'll take i'll uh, take it as a tie i understand if it's not an official win it can be a tie no I'm among the three that. of us because i'm the one who tied with you i'm gonna give you the win i hereby <laughs> give it to you because but i don't want because, i don't want because i don't want a pity win. difference no it's not a pity win you just you crushed me so hard in the, in the landry shamit debate as it turned out, that I'm, I'm, I'm giving you the win. Okay, I, I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, yep. So that's it. That was a. I think you guys bolted. Well, I did worse than a coin flip, personally, uh, or about the same as a coin flip. Uh, and yeah, it'll be interesting to see Max. I, I assume you're willing to come on to do this again next year, right? Absolutely. Cannot wait to talk about uh, over under Kevin Durant and LeBron James points. Yeah, <laughs> we're getting both. They're going to have to share the ball a little more when they're both playing on the same team. Obviously, Devin Booker gets the most shots. Of course. Uh, in, that, in that scenario, Max, we appreciate you for coming on, and we appreciate you for talking through this season with us. It'll be fascinating to see what our conversation is like once the team has dramatically changed for next season. Thank you again. Yep, thank you, guys.
everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.